Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. This episode includes descriptions of graphic images. In the fall of 1970, Marie Wilkie looked like most of her classmates at Notre Dame's Women's College. It was the age of mini skirts, and I remember we kept shortening them and shortening them, and I had long straight hair. Of course, everybody did. Marie made the most of being away from home. It was a blast being in college up there. I went to parties constantly. But she also took her studies seriously. There were Lots of lectures, lots of interesting speakers came into Notre Dame, and you could go and hear about all sorts of things. One of the things she heard about was feminism. By the start of Marie's junior year in 1970, women were protesting across the country. The legislature has consistently refused to recognize the fundamental right of women to control their own body. Thanks to the women's liberation movement, Abortion was being talked about openly in all kinds of places, including in Marie's dorm. You stay up half the night talking about what do you believe and why do you believe it and who's right and control of your own body. You know that if you got pregnant and didn't want it, well, it wasn't going to interfere with your life or your career or your plans. You just have the abortion. Marie wasn't sure if she was on board with any of that. Because it seemed so focused on me, 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 my rights, my time, my exercise, what I want. And I thought, I'm just not sure that's how I want to live my life. When Marie left for winter break, she didn't know where she stood. She wanted to talk about all of it with her family back in Cincinnati, Ohio. It was Christmas of my junior year. And I came home, everything was decorated, you know, the big Christmas dinner and stockings hung, and it was all the traditions. Marie's mother and father were Catholic, just like she was. And in their community, 
they were pretty well known. You might know them best as sex educators. I give you Dr. and Mrs. Jack and Barbara Wilkie. Jack and Barbara had made a name for themselves with their series of books and lectures. As we go along in our talk, you'll hear us mention our children. Uh, Marie and Tracy are 16 and 14. Charlie and Joe, our wrecking crew, are 8 and 7. Anne is 5, and Timothy is 1 and a half. And has red hair. <laughs> and we're going to give you some ideas on sex education of children. And so they ended up writing this book actually called The Wonder of Sex. And it was... Um, how beautiful sex is within marriage when it's used for the love between the spouses and to generate children, rather than just in casual one-night-stand kind of things. You know, sex is something like electricity. Unharnessed and out of control, it's an atomic bomb or it's lightning, and it destroys. And yet channeled within the rules and put to proper use, it heats and warms our homes over the years. Marie's parents would share their theory of good sex at high schools and churches. Jack was a doctor, tall and professorial, and he wore nice suits. Barbara was a trained nurse, tiny and wispy, and she always emphasized her role as a caregiver. Together, they were folksy and playful. And we strongly suggest that you let the children see you kiss and embrace and let your delight show through because they shouldn't see this for the first time in a parked automobile. We even say maybe sit down on the couch and pitch a little woo in front of the children. So well, don't get too passionate in front of them. But... <laughs> you can't get too far anyway. There's always one of the little ones in between you trying to get their share. Our dog even separates us. <laughs> the Wilkies didn't just talk to other families about sex. They spoke to their own kids about it, too. And I remember there'd be a song on the radio, and they would say, well, Marie, what, what do you think of what she's singing about? Do you think if she goes down that road that she's going to end up happy? You know, what's her life going to look like in 20 years? And how did teenage Marie feel about your parents talking about sex like that? I didn't think they were very cool. <laughs> I thought... The kids at college were, were much cooler than my parents and knew a lot more, you know. The Wilkie's book, The Wonder of Sex, was available in print and as a vinyl record. The sleeve for the album version is decorated with a Wilkie family portrait. Jack is the only one standing. He's wearing a pressed white shirt and a bow tie. Barbara has their youngest on her lap, with Marie and the rest of her sisters and brothers sitting around the fireplace. On her visit home in 1970, Marie had a bunch of long talks with her parents. She told them what she'd been hearing about feminism and about abortion. I said, you know, they're saying in my classes that abortion is a woman's right. You can't force her to carry this child and... You know, she has a right to control her own body. We don't make men do anything like this. Why should women pay the penalty? And my parents, I think, were just horrified. While the Wilkies spoke frankly about sex, they had very traditional views about its place in the world. And like many Catholics, they thought life started at conception. That made abortion a sin. 
and we kept butting heads all during Christmas break. And I would bring up an argument and they would shoot it down. Marie's parents had both been trained in medicine. As an English major, she felt outmatched. They were like, well, is it human life? Look at the chromosome count. Can you refute that? And I couldn't. And what if she's a blue-eyed blonde and the baby's a little red-headed boy with freckles? Is that part of her body? Of course not. It's a completely separate person. And I thought, well, that's a pretty strong argument, you know. <laughs> and, and then I would say, you know, well, what about the poor rape victim? And dad would just look at me and say, so we're going to make the child pay the penalty for the crime of the father. Does that sound fair? And I would think, well, no, that doesn't sound fair either, you know. Eventually, Marie gave in. Her parents had worn her down and won her over. And I said, how do you guys know all this? She wanted to share her new perspective with her college classmates. But there wasn't much out there that expressed this point of view. So she went to her parents with a big idea. I said, why don't you write a little book? Because nobody knows these answers that you know, at least nobody I'm talking to. Marie was right about that. In the early 1970s, the case against abortion had not been well articulated. But that was before Jack and Barbara Wilkie. That little book that Marie suggested her parents write, it would change everything for their family and for the pro-life movement. This is Slow Burn. I'm your host, Susan Matthews. In the late 1960s, opposition to abortion looked very different than it does today. Right-to-life groups were smaller and more scattered and mostly centered around the Catholic Church. And since the procedure was still banned in most places, there wasn't much to fight against. But as the 60s turned to the 70s, the groups working to make abortion safe and legal were gaining traction. A Gallup poll released today shows that two out of three Americans interviewed believe the question of abortion should be settled between a woman and her doctor. Everything seemed to be trending in one direction until a couple of Catholic sex educators took on the fight themselves. What spurred the Wilkies into action? Why did so many people find them so convincing? And how did their tactics revolutionize how we all talk about abortion? Can we kill one human life to solve the problem of another? This is the core of the whole abortion story. This is episode two, Life or Death. The rest of this episode is available exclusively to Slate Plus subscribers. Subscribe now by clicking Try Free at the top of the Slow Burn show page on Apple Podcasts. Or... Visit slate.com slash slowburnplus to get access wherever you listen. By subscribing to Slate Plus, not only will you unlock the entire season of Slow Burn Roe v. Wade, but you'll also get full access to all your favorite Slate podcasts, all ad-free.